It's time for Hockey in the Desert. Cleans it up in the slot. The Sun Devils score. Steps in and fires. He scores. Puts the nail in the coffin. It's 5-1 Arizona State. Arizona State hockey has just begun a new season, and it's a pretty exciting time to be a Sun Devil fan. It's been a long time coming, but the team will break in its brand new home, Mullet Arena, on October 14th, 2022. It's going to be awesome. You know, I mean, it's going to be, you know, they sold out quickly. And um, I know a lot of people are still looking for tickets and there's not going to be enough to, to, to give out. It'll be the beginning of a new era for a team that's been on an unexpected yet meteoric rise over the last decade. It was an offensive explosion last night for ASU, and they did not waste any time getting the party started. In this episode, we'll explore the program's improbable transition from club to NCAA. And two guys that supported us called and said, hey, did you see that article? Tell them we were in for 32 million bucks. The funny stories of growing pains during the move up. The, the beginning of it, we were like uh, Tommy Boy. And uh, in that movie, we're just kind of driving around. We're driving around British Columbia, going to all these little small towns, looking for players. And the friendships and sacrifices it's taken to make history along the way. I'm Chirsten Soussel, and this is PHNX The Story. You'll hear from three people during this podcast. ASU hockey head coach Greg Powers his assistant coach and right-hand man, Alex Hicks, and a former journalism student named Justin Emerson, who surprisingly played a key role in propelling ASU to the Division I level. But first, a little bit of background on Coach Powers, whose Sun Devil hockey roots run deep, and as a kid in the 90s, was drawn to the idea of hockey in the desert. Yeah, I mean, it was bizarre then, you know, I mean, that's what drew me to it, you know, as, as a high school kid from Indianapolis who had never been west of the Mississippi. I thought I was going to play junior hockey or, you know, go some school in Minnesota or Wisconsin. And then ASU's coach saw me play at a tournament in Chicago. And then I flew out and visited campus. And I think in about 15 minutes, I called my mom and I'm like, there's no way I'm not going here. Um, it's just, it, it's kind of an oxymoron hockey at Arizona state. And, um, and, and we've kind of developed the program over time into like this urban legend that, you know, people are like, oh, like they've always had a really good club program, which we developed it into. And and now it is what it is today. But in the 90s, it was, you know, when I got there, it was still pretty ragtag. Um, the coach at the time, Gene Hammett, did a really good job going out and finding kids that wanted to make it more than it was, more than just if you have skates, you can show up and play. So he went out and, and recruited some really good players, and um, we, we made a couple national tournaments, and it just kind of built from there. Powers, who was the team's goaltender, was named team MVP in back-to-back seasons, and the Sun Devils qualified for three national championships in his four-year tenure in Tempe. But he left hockey behind after college and focused on building a business, until about a decade later when he got a call from then-head coach Jeremy Goltz. I had no no desire to ever coach. I, I never thought of it. It never crossed my mind. Um, the coach at the time was a U of A grad, and he coached at U of A when I played at ASU. So he just wanted to bring in some ASU blood, and uh, and so he I met him for a couple beers, and and he 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 talked me into it to just come back as a volunteer coach, and 
And then, you know, it took me about three weeks to, to figure out, I really like this, you know, and, and um, it just, you know, I took on more and more of a role as time went on. He ran a youth organization. So there, there were, you know, in that first year, even, you know, games where he didn't, he, he couldn't go to. So, um, so I just assumed more and more of a role and two years into it, he, uh, he decided he didn't have time for it. And then even at that time, I, I didn't in my head think that I was going to take over as head coach. The players were just like, you know, why don't you do it? And I'm like, I don't know. And then my wife was like, yeah, you should try it. So Powers took over as head coach of ASU's club team and had immediate success, which included the program's first ever ACHA Division I National Championship in 2014. It was after that season that Powers linked up with former NHL winger Alex Hicks. So Hicksy was was just retired from his pro career, and you know um, he was he was in, highly involved in youth hockey as one of the directors at DYHA at Oceanside, and we had just won a national championship. And I had met Hicksy a few different times. Um, he wanted to get into higher level coaching, obviously, as his coaching career developed, and we hit it off really well, and and just were kind of like minded and. Um, I asked him to come out to a few practices the year after we won a national championship and do some things so my guys could hear a different voice. And we really, I thought, were, were again, just like-minded in a lot of ways. And I, could, I wanted to bring people in that I can learn from. He wanted a different voice, like he said. And um, so I, I always liked going out and coaching. And um, I really had no connection to ASU at all. Uh, and once I got out there with those guys and, and, and a few practices, I think I ran a power play, a couple of practices for them and I liked it. And we just developed a relationship that uh, we, we, we started to talk more frequently. And, um, and then I was thinking personally, what did I want to do with my coaching? My kids were all getting older and I was basically in youth hockey for them. I just, just, Embrace the fact that he wanted me to, to help him. And, and uh, I talked with my wife at the time and she said, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of travel and you're, you know, you're busy here. And I just kind of rolled the dice and said, this is what I want to do. It's a good thing. He didn't listen to his wife because they're not married anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to her long enough. <laughs> I was not expecting that comment. <laughs> So we hit it off. It was it was great. And he says, all right, basically, you're hired. Let's do this. And it didn't pay a whole hell of a lot. I think I asked you for more money the first time. And he's like, there's no more money. And I'm like, all right. So you're basically doing it for free and traveling all over. Uh, we just kind of hit the ground running and, and have never lo- uh, really looked back. It's important to note that Powers never took a paycheck while coaching the club team. Instead, he wanted that money to go back into the program, which also allowed Hicks to get paid a little bit of money to come on board. I think he did it for the right reasons. Like he was coaching because he loved it and he loved the program. Uh, he loved the university. Um, you know, he's a, a sun devil through and through. So when, when it came to, he had, he had a successful job and a good business and, and his passion was slowly growing into coaching. And uh, he, and, and in, in theory, he was doing it just to coach and be around the kids and, and help build this program into a powerhouse at the club level. That was all was on Greg's mind. 
Elevating ASU hockey to the Division I level wasn't really on anyone's radar during that time, but little did they know, the course of the program was about to be forever changed, thanks in large part to a journalism student at ASU eager to prove himself. I wanted to be a sports reporter, so I um, applied to the state press, um, school paper, and um, uh, second semester, my freshman year, I got hired on to their bottom of the totem pole beat. It was their unpaid beat to go cover the club hockey team, and I'm like, all right, let's do this. So I like bought a hockey book, so I'm like, let's let's learn about it. Like, if I'm going to cover this team, like I took the job. I took the job seriously. I wanted to do a good job. So I'm like, I don't know anything about this sport. So it was, I, a couple of the other reporters, they kind of knew my situation and they were, they were nice and helpful and kind of helped me out. And I tell people from my experience, as soon as you learn what icing and offsides are, the rest of it kind of, you can kind of figure it out. Like, as long as you know what the lines on the ice mean, once you get that down, you can, you can get it. So it was and fell in love with the sport right away. It was like immediate. I think the first weekend they had two games go to overtime and another go to a shootout. And I'm like, this is incredible. ASU hockey had just won the national championship. So this was my sophomore year. It would have been the 2014 national championship, I think. Um, and a couple of weeks later, the Frozen Four was on TV. And they were at ASU was at the club level. So obviously it was different tournaments and people were asking me a lot. They're like, Hey, like didn't ASU just win the national championship? Why is Boston university playing Providence or whoever it was that year? And I'm like, well, they're different. They're different levels. And there were, I realized that there were a lot of people who didn't know that there were difference because ASU, Arizona, not a college hockey market. Like everybody in Minnesota and Massachusetts could tell you everything about every D one team that's there. But you know, no fault of Arizona. They didn't have a college hockey team. So uh, a division one. So I'm like, okay, let's write this story. So I wanted to write a big story explaining why ASU hockey is not a division one team and why they won't be a division one team and what the differences are. So I got an interview with, with Ray Anderson, the athletic director. And I asked him just kind of point blank. I'm like, well, why isn't ASU hockey a division one sport? And you know, I expected some big, long filibuster. Oh, the timing, the financial, whatever. Uh, and to his credit, he was very frank with me. He's like, we don't have the money for it. I'm like, okay, well, the natural follow-up is what if the money showed up? And he, to this day, he says he thinks I was setting him up. I promise I was not. And I asked him, I'm like, so if the money showed up just out of the blue, what would you do? He's like, well, we have to do it. If somebody called me and said, hey, I want to make ASU hockey happen here's a check. I'm going to make it happen. And sure enough, um, you know, there were, it wasn't just money. It was title nine compliance. You had to make sure that there were the right amount of women's scholarships and, and all of this. And, uh, so I wrote the story and on my way back to my car after the interview, I called up Greg powers, the ASU hockey coach. I'm like, Hey, I need a number. And he's like, how much would it take? And I was like, ah, uh, I don't know, like 30, 35 million, you know, some, somewhere in that range. I should have said 80. And then the next day he publishes it. Then he got a call. Uh, Ray Anderson got a call. I published my story, said 30 to 40 million and Don Mullet and the investment team. And everybody was like, hey, we're serious. Um, we want to make this happen. So I called ASU and I was in front of Ray and six associate ADs about three days later with those guys on the phone. And, um, and that's how it happened. 
you don't seem like you're a selfish guy, but you have how much credit do you give yourself for helping facilitate it? You know, when I was a college kid, I like to give myself a lot of credit. It was a lot of like fake humility, bravado. It was like, oh, you know, I, I didn't do anything. But I'll, I'll be honest, I, I really don't. I wrote a story. Other people wrote the check. I mean, you know, Ray Anderson made it happen with Title One. You know, ASU added, I, I think it was women's lacrosse and women's triathlon to, to balance out ASU men's hockey. And Greg Powers laid the foundation for it that made it want to happen. All the players that one. So it's like, I, I know it sounds like it's that fake humility, but really I wrote a story. It's fun to be a small piece of the history and it's, it's fun to do interviews like this and kind of walk down memory lane. But I mean, for me, that was seven, eight years ago. I wrote a story. I've been a sports reporter. I'm now, I now work out of sports and married with a kid in the house. Like it's, it's fun, but it's, it's not a, I, I don't take too much credit. The right people happened to have read Justin Emerson's article, but now Ray Anderson needed to make sure he had the right people to lead ASU's newest Division I program. There was no guarantee that Greg Powers would remain head coach. You know, I helped facilitate that, that uh, transition with the donors and uh, ASU and all that stuff. And, and all I asked for was, hey, just give me a fair chance. You know, like get to know me. Um, I think the exact words that I told Ray were don't, don't hire me. If you think I'm the best guy, hire me. If you think I'm the only guy, if you don't think I'm the only guy for this job, I'll get out of the way. I'll get season tickets. I'll support the program in every way I possibly can. There's so many things that, 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 you know, we had to overcome to grow playing out of Oceanside, you know, going from club to division one in less than six months with, no offices, no staff, no team, no schedule. So he needed somebody with some business acumen to put it all together. Um, and, and Ray was, you know, hopefully, you know, he was obviously very bright, but he's, he had the foresight to understand he needed more than just, you know, somebody with NHL pedigree, right. Which I don't have. So I was lucky. I was lucky to have an AD with an open mind, you know, that, that didn't look at my lack of pro playing careers as a, as a deterrent. He looked at my background as, as somebody that he needed to, to spark the program. And just like that, ASU was on its way to the NCAA. The businessman and the former pro hockey player buckling up for a ride through uncharted territories. We had to get right to it. It was just the two of us. And I had to sell my company, which I did. Um, and then make hires, and and it was kind of a, uh, you know, a pro- it was a process getting that done and approved. And we didn't have offices. We obviously didn't have a facility. We had an Oceanside, um, but that was the donor's deal. They're like, you're going to do it, but you got to do it now. Like we're not going to do it in five years, two years, three years. You're going to do it. And you're going to do it now. So it was like, like pedal the metal, like figure out a lot of stuff as you go, make some mistakes along the way learn how to correct those mistakes quickly. Um, but our, our core staff is intact from day one. We're all still here. A good a good story that we have is, um, so we had to go recruit a bunch of players. And um, I've been, I'm known to be, I think I'm a great driver, but I'm known to be a little reckless, fiddle with the radio and all that good stuff while I'm driving. And so we were up in the mountains in, um, uh, where was it again? Merritt. In, uh, we're leaving Merritt. To go Merritt, to go. British Columbia. 
And so we're going over the pass and it's snowing and there's about a six inches of snow on the, on the, on the road. And Greg's in the passenger seat and I'm driving and I got my shoes off. I got a foot up on the dash. I got my cell phone out. I'm texting and we're like skiing down this hill and he's pretty much freaking out. like almost to the verge of tears because uh, he was so scared and I was like used to it. I didn't care. I'm just like, ah, I, I grew up in this stuff. It's good. Um, but th- that was just one story that we always tell um, just th- the beginning of it. We were like uh, Tommy boy. And uh, in that movie, we're just kind of driving around. We're driving around British Columbia, going to all these little small towns, looking for players. Yeah. Just looking for players. I didn't think we were going to come out of it alive. They would have had to hire an all new staff. The pitch they were giving as they hung on for dear life on the recruiting trail back in 2015, trying to sell athletes on coming to the desert to play for a program that's brand new to the NCAA and therefore has little hockey tradition, is the same pitch they still give today. It's, it hasn't changed much. You know, I mean, our mantra is be the tradition, right? So you get to come to ASU, you get to set a standard, you get to you get to look back on your time when you played college hockey and know that you were the tradition, right? You didn't go to a program that has a long line of tradition and uh, a laundry list of NHL players and Olympians and national championships. You get to come to a place like ASU, the first power five school on the West coast to add hockey, um, first PAC 12 school to add hockey, and you get to set the standard, right? So we still go by that today. I mean, we're only, this is our seventh year, right? So we're still a new program. So kids buy into that. They, they really think that, you know, that it resonates with a kid or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, they're not the right kid for us. The tradition or black thereof at ASU was far from their biggest obstacle when it came to recruiting. For the last seven or eight years, it's been their home. We were in a situation prior where we would have a kid visit and do everything we could not to show them where they were going to play. Like if we could go through an official visit and think about that, like if you're an athlete, and you visit a school to play a sport, and the coaches are doing everything they can not to show you the venue that you're going to play at. It's not good, right? So now, like we're we can't get those kids in the Mole Arena fast enough to to be able to bring kids in and that are, that we're fighting with the North Dakotas and Michigan and Minnesota to to compete against to get these these players. They're going to be able to see this beautiful arena and this beautiful campus and experience a game and maybe bring their parents with them and. Um, understand what a great environment that, that it's going to be. Uh, we've never had that. So just this uh, having Mullet Arena or the Mullet, as I like to call it, is, is going to just bring this program to new heights. Despite having obstacles along the way, the program has had plenty of success. In just their third season at the Division I level, Sun Devil Hockey became the fastest startup program to make it to the NCAA tournament in league history. And the coaching staff has been able to recruit players like goaltender Joey Decord, who was on that tournament team and now plays professionally. And Josh Doan, whose presence has served as the best kind of recruiting. The Sun Devils have a sophomore captain in Josh Doan. He's just one year in, but 37 points last year. He's already making a mark on that young program. Well, speaking of highly touted, this guy was an early second round pick of the Arizona Coyotes, where his father, Shane Doan, was maybe the most notable Coyote of all time, uh, a legendary NHL hockey player. His dad uh, with still with that program, and he was a draft pick of theirs also. So homegrown talent. Uh, he's, a, he's a great kid, great player, and he'll be fun to watch. 
But you don't accomplish any of these things without a head coach that was humble enough to listen to others. Two kids that I'm really close with even to this day that I won a national championship with actually pulled me aside and said, hey, like, don't change. Like, you're, you're changing, you're changing, don't change. Like, you're here because of the way you are. And that was a lesson for me is like, yes, you know what, you're right. Um, and kids are kids. They're, all, they're, they're the same. The club kids and these kids are the same. These are just better players. Right? But they all want the same thing. They learn the right way. Uh, they're motivated the same way. You know, and and and, and uh, you, you can't fool them. If I don't agree with something or if I think he's maybe doing something that I have a different perspective on, I can tell him and he may not agree with me, but he'll listen every time. He'll listen every time and then he'll make his choice. But I'm not scared to go up to him and say, hey, I think we should be doing this rather than this. Um, we usually agree on most things, but when the, the times that we don't, I can bring it up to him without the fear of being told to get the hell out of his office. And you also don't accomplish these things without a pair of coaches passionate about the program and willing to make sacrifices in their own lives for it. There's been a huge sacrifice in, in a lot of areas. I, I think just travel, number one, and recruiting and um, being away from our families for for long lengths of time. Um you know, last or two years ago during COVID, we were gone, I think, for like 58 out of 70 days living in a hotel, something like that. You know, my children are all old and grown, but but the other staff members have young kids and, you know, in, in elementary school and high school that they didn't see for months on end, missed all their practices and stuff. So I think just the time and um, with the scheduling like that, being on the road for all the games because uh, nobody really wanted to come and play at Oceanside. So we were, we lived the first, you know, five, six years on the road with that. Um, and then recruiting, you know, every time we have to go out and recruit, um, it's it's not a bus, it's not a car ride. It's, it's a, a plane ride, three, four hours, and to get somewhere where it takes a whole day. And so if you're going to spend the money and take the time, you're going to spend – an extra few days on the road just to make it worthwhile. So I think the biggest thing that we've sacrificed is, is time. And, but we've all enjoyed it. We, we love doing what we do. Uh, we love being on the road and being, being together. But um, I think there's been a sacrifice for everybody's family for sure. The story behind how ASU hockey became a Division I sport and what it took to get to this point as they get ready to play their home opener in a brand new arena is worth reflecting on. It gives you a better appreciation for where it's been and where this program is headed. It is just a group of really good people that are so passionate, you know, whether it was to get the program NCAA, help advance it as much as it could while we were at Oceanside. And then most importantly now, you know, some of the really passionate people like Frank Ferrara to get us this arena. Um, it's been a, it's been a, it, it's literally taken a village, right? And, uh, and we have great members on staff that are on this call that's helped along the way as well. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of The Story. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be super helpful if you could subscribe and leave it a review. Once again, I'm Cheerson Soussel. Thanks for listening.